Welcome to the GMAT Strategy Podcast. You're here because you believe there's a better way to study for the GMAT, and so do I. I created the GMAT Strategy to maximize your results and minimize your efforts so you can get to the fun parts about business school and life as quickly as possible. My name is Isaac Puglia, and I've been teaching GMAT classes and tutoring privately for the GMAT for over six years, and I personally have achieved a 99th percentile score on an official GMAT exam and helped hundreds of students get into the business schools of their choice. I'm excited to be a part of your MBA journey since I think the world can benefit from the best possible business leaders that we can find. And if this show is bringing you value, please share it with your friends and family who are studying for the GMAT so that together we can make this process as easy and painless for as many people as we possibly can. Let's go. Happy 2020, everyone. I hope you had a wonderful end to 2019. I've been a little bit off of my normal release schedule with the podcast just due to the holiday season in the United States, but... I've been doing my best to keep up with questions and also to make sure that I am bringing you all value and hopefully a lot or at least a little bit more ease when it comes to your GMAT studies and helping those scores move. Today, I want to talk about reading comprehension. I want to talk about the format, a basic approach that will help you if you don't have one already, and then some strong recommendations for if you want or need to get to the next level with your reading comprehension performance. Let's start with the format. You're going to see a passage with text on the left side of the screen, and then you will see one question at a time on the right side of the screen. Like all other sections of the GMAT, you have to answer the question you are currently looking at before you can view the next question, and once you have committed to an answer to that question, you cannot go back to that question and change your answer. Now, a good tip as far as anticipating what you're going to see on different types of passages is if you need to scroll down on the computer screen in order to view the entirety of the text of the passage, then you're likely to see four questions on that passage. If you do not have to scroll down on the computer screen in order to view the full text of the passage, you're likely to see three questions on that passage. Now, there is some variance with this. I've noticed a little more variance ever since the exam was shortened, let's say, a couple years ago at this point, probably. But I think that recommendation still holds true. Now, a quick caveat there is if you're taking a practice exam on a computer and you're very zoomed in on your web browser, then you might have to scroll even to see the entirety of shorter passages. But on the test itself, if you have to scroll, you're probably going to see four. Let's talk about a basic approach for this type of format. What I recommend is a quick first read of the entire text of the passage. Now there's debate out there about this, but there are a few reasons that I recommend this. The first one is for most human beings, if you have the context of the overall passage, it's going to be a little bit easier both to understand and situate the details that you may be asked about in the questions. There's definitely some variance with that. If you already know yourself not to be that type of holistic reader, then you probably already have developed strategies in your life for dealing with that. And I think you can safely experiment and trust those recommendations. For most people I've worked with, I would say at least 80%, probably in the 85 to 90% range, 
they're going to have an easier time situating the details of a passage if they have the broader context of it. Second reason to read the entire passage once first before you answer any questions is there's usually a general question as part of those three or four questions that asks you something like, what is the main purpose of this passage? And it really, really helps to have read the full passage when answering those types of questions. Now, the final reason that a, a quick first read of the full passage is a good idea, in my opinion, is that you can always go back to the passage later if you need more deep understanding of certain details. And I'm, I'm going to get deep on this in a moment, but I think the best way to think about reading comprehension is like an open book test. You can always go back and look at the source material to find your answer. More on that in a moment. One of the biggest questions I get asked the most frequently is, should I read the first question that shows up before I do my first read of the passage? And I've thought about this a lot, and frankly, over the years I've come to realize that it probably doesn't really matter that much. <laughs> so if you, if you experiment and you find that you like having the context of reading that question first before you do your first read, go for it. I think that's fine. I'll be honest, for me personally, I, I don't even read that first question. I know I'm going to have to read the whole passage once anyway. I just like to get that done and get it over with without clouding my mind too much with one you know, specific focus. But I would encourage you to experiment, figure out what works for you, and just commit to being consistent with your approach. Now, probably the, the bigger question or the more, maybe the more important question that I get asked less frequently but I want to address here because I, I think it is extremely important is should I take notes on that first read? And there's quite a bit of debate out there about this but I'll give you my take which is I think absolutely yes you should definitely take notes on that first read of reading comprehension and there are a few reasons that I think that that is a good idea. The first is you're not ever going to be asked about literally everything that they are presenting you with in a reading comp passage. There just isn't time in the exam to ask you about every single point that a passage would raise. And so if you're taking notes and you've developed a, a wise note-taking approach on your first read, which I'll help with momentarily, then a good note-taking approach will help you zero in on the stuff that is really important and help you gloss over the stuff that is less important on that first read. And I think having a structured note-taking approach just helps structure your thinking so that you don't fall back into just a quote-unquote normal mode of reading that a lot of people get into on the, on the GMAT. They kind of just default to their normal way of reading, which I think can be a little bit counterproductive sometimes, but Honestly, that depends on how good of a reader you are. If you're a great reader and you just read normally on the GMAT and you're getting great results, fantastic. Don't, don't fix it if it isn't broken. But for a lot of people, their normal way of reading is very slow and very detail-oriented, which is great in certain situations, but that can, be, that can work against them. Let's just put it that way on reading comp on the GMAT. So a good note-taking approach will help you focus on what's important. A second reason which is kind of funny, but actually really important to take notes on that first read is it'll help you from zoning out or, or losing focus, which is just remarkably common. And I think most of us, if not all of us, can relate to getting to the end of a paragraph or even a whole passage and just thinking, well, what did I just read? And then you got to go back to the top, start from scratch and, and spend another few minutes, if not more, rereading the passage all over again. And I, I think for me, I've found that for me personally and my students, that's 
that's a bigger loss than just those few minutes. Like, obviously, losing that, that few minutes is not good. But it can really elevate the anxiety of the situation where you can really get in your head and start thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm never going to get that time back. You know, am, am, I, am I even – is it even possible for me to hit my goal score now? You know, that when you're getting into that state of mind – you're usually not optimizing your performance on the current question. And so we want to do everything we possibly can to keep ourselves out of that sort of panicked, frantic state of mind, which the stress of the GMAT really brings out in, in most of us, if not all of us. So having systems for coping with that stress, because that, uh, that stress, I mean, real talk, that, unstress, that stress is very unlikely to go away when you're taking the GMAT, because as you get better, the test just gets harder to compensate for your increased skills. So that stress to me is very inherent in the GMAT, and so the best thing I can do is develop methods for coping with that stress as best I can. And that is a good exercise. It's, it's a good thing to use the GMAT uh, to, to train for other areas of life. If you can be cool under pressure, if you can learn to deal with stress better on the GMAT, you'll probably deal with stress better in high-pressure environments, which you're likely to face both in your MBA program and certainly beyond. So those are a couple reasons to take notes. One caveat, perhaps obviously, if you're doing extremely well on reading comp without taking any notes, then you should keep doing that. But most people I talk to about reading comp are not doing very well, and they can usually benefit from implementing a note-taking approach or maybe adjusting their current note-taking approach. At the end of the day, though, all we care about is results. So if you're getting the results you want, keep doing what you're doing. Now, one last thing I want to say is please don't avoid taking notes just because of speed. I hear a lot of people complain, oh, I, I can't read fast enough. It's taking notes slows me down too much. That may be the case. But out of the people who I've heard that from, the literally thousands of people I've heard that from at this point, I would say maybe three of them were in the group where they should stop taking notes just as a result of speed. And that was usually because of some kind of physical condition like dysgraphia where they they actually are just much slower at writing and it's very very difficult for them to write things down versus the sort of quote-unquote normal population of humanity and so you're probably in a pretty extreme case if you need to stop taking notes for speed reasons if you're worried about speed and note taking then chances are you just should work on getting faster at taking notes while you're reading okay now i'll give you a recommendation for this sometimes that comes down to just writing less down. So if you're writing full words, full sentences down, yes, you can definitely cut that back. When we're talking about taking notes on reading comp, I'm talking about using a very aggressive shorthand most of the time because you're probably not going to go back to these notes later on when you're answering questions as a reference. Part of the purpose of taking notes is just to help you internalize the information from the passage in a certain way so that it gets cemented in your short-term memory better than it would have without those notes. So it's not that you need some pristine notes that you can go back and, and reference at a later date, which is the way most of us are used to thinking about taking notes. It's more about getting you to focus the right way, as I was saying previously, while you're reading. So you can cut back on the amount you're writing for sure, but if you still need to develop speed when you're note-taking, there are a lot of good websites out there that have free articles that are similar in length to GMAT passages. Uh, one good one that I found because so many of my students struggle with science-related passages is phys.org. So P as in purple, H as in helium, 
Y as in yellow, S as in silver, P-H-Y-S dot O-R-G. You should be able to find quite a few free passages that you can use to just get practice reading and taking notes. And the more you practice, the faster you're going to get. That's just the way our mind works. So if you really, really need to double down on speed, I'll come back to this later, then I would just make it a part of your daily routine or at least a part of your study routine to, at the start or at the end, take 10 to 15 minutes or more if you have it, depending on your other strengths and weaknesses on the exam, and just run through one to six passages in a row, just reading and practicing your note-taking skills. That brings us to an important point, which is, if I am going to take notes, what should I be writing down? There are actually quite a few good recommendations out there amongst the instructor community, in my opinion. I haven't really ever seen someone give some poor advice when it comes to taking notes, so if you're, if you're working with a tutor or you're taking a class and you're happy with the method that they recommend, then chances are you can stick with that, no problem. Now, if you want some extra recommendations about note-taking and you want to really get into the nitty-gritty of what types of abbreviations work well and you want to develop that system, I think the Manhattan Prep Strategy Guide on Reading Comp does a very, very good job of that. I don't know that that's the only resource that does a very, very good job, but in terms of the resources I personally have encountered, I think that book is extremely good and, and probably the best bang for the buck if you can spend money. Now, if you can get it at the library, that's even better maybe in some certain situations, but having immediate access to that information I think is very valuable. I recommend those books a lot because I think they're great. I personally used them to study. I've seen a lot of other materials on the market. I'm not going to name any names, but I think if you're targeting over 700 or you're trying to get to that 700 level, then the, the Manhattan Prep Strategy Guides are really geared towards you. If you are starting in the 400s or 500s and you just want to move your score 50 to 100 points, then most other providers are, are usually aiming at folks in that range. So you have a lot more options, I think, if you're targeting a, uh, something like a 550 or a 600. If you're on a super strict budget, though, I'll give you a couple, couple recommendations just so we can have also some fuel for the fire for the discussion we're about to have. And if you, if you want more on this, I, I do talk about this in, in my class, um, but I, I do feel that I've been pushing my personal class a little hard in the podcast, and I just don't want that to be annoying. I, I, you know, I really think a lot about accessibility of information after working in this industry for a long time where the price of expert recommendations is extremely high, in my opinion, and maybe that's the way it should be. You know, most of us are going to have differing views on market capitalism but whether it should or should not be that way, I personally believe that this type of information should be a little bit more accessible, at least on a level that gives everyone the same type of opportunity. Maybe it doesn't give everyone the same advantage if you can't afford to spend as much as the other person. Well, in most societies, those people with more money are, are going to have access to better education, and it's going to be probably going to take a while to remedy that situation, but... This is part of me doing my absolute best to bring this to you, to you guys in a robust way, in a way that gives you leverage that's also free. So let me know if you have feedback on that. I'm very, very open to feedback on the podcast, on the class itself, if, if you are in it currently. Um, so feel free to reach out to me at any time. I'm at the GMAT Strategy on Instagram, on Facebook, on YouTube, and on Reddit. So if you're on a strict budget or you just want some simple recommendations for what to write down, then at the very least, I would recommend writing down the main idea of the overall passage. So somehow finding a way to paraphrase that or reword that to yourself in a simple way 
and a few details that stood out to you. It's generally not practical to write down every piece of, of detailed information that they give you in a passage. I think that's a probably a bad idea unless you're an extremely fast reader or you don't have any time pressure in the verbal section, then you can afford to write a lot more. But if you're like most of us and you do experience time pressure, then just a few details that you think is important, that you think are important, should suffice. Now, you're never really going to know exactly what you're going to be asked about, so don't worry about writing down the perfect details. That's probably going to be a distraction. Just if something stands out to you, think, okay, that was in the second paragraph or that was in the second half of the first long paragraph, something like that, just so you know where to look if you are asked about that thing later. Now, it's, it's an important time to go a little deeper on what I just said, which is you do want these notes to be pretty simple, I think. And again, you're, you're not reading for a super detailed understanding on this first read because, again, you can always go back. It's like an open book test. You may need to experiment to find what's best for you. I found that some of my students wind up getting better results if they do a closer first read. And some of my students wind up uh, doing getting better results with a, a quicker first read and they're reading too carefully on the first one. So experiment a lot, figure out what works best for you. Now, once you've read the passage and you've written down this sort of main idea plus a few key details, then you're gonna get into the questions. Now, in terms of the main idea, just quick recommendation here. I think what you're going for is something that you could say casually to a friend. If you read a passage and, and your friend said, hey, what, what's, what's the story with that passage? What's the gist of it? Or the sort of the, the focal point, like what's the takeaway? You wanna be able to give them that in relatively simple language in at maximum a sentence. Or it could just be a few words, such as, this passage describes what has happened to a certain species of frog in the last 20 years. That would be a good kind of bare bones summary of a passage. Or this passage describes the history of leveraged buyouts, something like that. So once you've read the passage and you've written down that main idea, I think that's important to get that in writing, even if it is a shorthand, and you've written down a couple key details, now it's time to answer some questions. So let me give you some guidance here. First piece of advice is you'll want to notice if a question tells you where to look in the passage to find the answer to that question. This happens maybe 50% of the time, sometimes a little bit less, depending on your question draw, which is random. But if you are told where to look in the passage, such as you're given a line reference number, or you're given a specific sentence reference, such as the first sentence of the second paragraph, or if you're given names of people or studies with capitalized letters that make them easy to locate in the passage, then before you go to the answer choices, I recommend going back to the passage and reading that part of the passage. And you should read a little bit before that and also a little bit after that because most of the time, the test is not going to give you the answer in exactly the part of the passage that they pointed you to because that usually makes questions too easy. So they'll often hide the answer a few lines above or a few lines below. And I think if you do some review on some reading comp passages from the official guide or an official practice test, you'll notice that pattern as I did. Now, when you're going back at this point, if you've been told where to look in a question and you're going back to read a little above and a little below, now you are reading much more intentionally and much more carefully and much more slowly because there is likely to be a return on investment of that time spent. Whereas on your first read through the passage, I think the reason you probably want a little more velocity than your normal reading speed is it's unlikely 
that you're going to be asked about everything. But once you have determined that this question is asking you about this specific segment of the passage, that is now the time where you want to shift gears out of that faster reading speed, slow down, and be a little bit more detail-oriented. And this I've found to be the most efficient method is you're reading faster for that sort of high-level view, and then once you're being asked about something, you're really zeroing in and reading very carefully. Now, if they don't tell you in the question where you're likely to find the answer in the passage. There's not a line reference, there isn't a word or phrase in the question itself that indicates where in the passage you're likely to find the answer, then you should probably, in most cases, go through all five answer choices really quickly and just quickly scan those. And if any of them are for sure 100% wrong based on your current understanding of the passage, you can eliminate those. But most of the time you'll wind up with four, three, sometimes all five, you'll think, okay, could be any of these. Then you're going to want to go to answer choice A, the first one, read that carefully, and then ask yourself, can I verify this answer's accuracy based on what I read? And that's often the time where you will have to go back to the passage because answer choice A will reference something specific and you're going to have to say, oh, I think that was in the first part of the passage. I go back and reread that. Answer choice B might reference something, something else in a different part of the passage, you might have to then go back and find that. And this is where things can get very time intensive, and that's okay. This is a, usually, a, if you're going to spend time on reading comp, this is a good way to spend that time because it's likely to pay off. You're definitely being asked about these things. Now, hopefully on that first pass through the answer choices, you can eliminate one or two. But if you can't, you're often going back and forth between the answers and the passage trying to verify. So how do you know if you can eliminate something? I'll give you the golden nugget of wisdom on reading comp here, which is you are never being asked for your opinion on a reading comp question. I'll repeat that. You are never being asked for your opinion on a reading comp question. Even when they use words and phrases that make it sound like they're asking you for your opinion, they are not asking you for your opinion. They're asking you which one of these answers is most fully supported by the text that you read, not your impression of the text. This is where most people go astray on reading comp. So that's why you have to go back and read very carefully for each answer choice. And if you're down to two or three and you're stuck and you're having to make a decision, I'll give you some advice. This is the time where you wanna look more closely at the specific wording of each answer choice and notice how each answer choice differs from the others. And in this, it's, it's very similar to sentence correction, where you're picking out different phrases or different words that highlight the, the, um, the difference between answer choices. I'm not coming up with a better word for that right now. So I'll give you an example. So A might say something like the author is arguing for X, Y, or Z, whereas B might say the author is describing X, Y, or Z. And then you want to ask yourself, is there evidence in the text that shows the author is arguing for something? Or am I just making that up? Is my impression of what they're saying that they're arguing for something, but I can't find any textual evidence for that? That's a very, very important question because the answer choice that has the most textual evidence is going to be the right answer on reading comp questions. Now, if you determine that there isn't a lot of evidence for the author arguing for something, then describing is probably the better answer choice in that case. And you'll notice that arguing for something, in my point of view, is a lot more specific than just describing something. Describing things is very general, whereas arguing for something is very specific, and so I need to have evidence if I'm gonna choose an answer that says the author is arguing for something. Now those, those verbs are often a, 
a good decision-making point. Verbs like arguing for, describing, explaining, those often show up in reading comp answer choices and you should leverage them as much as you can. But a lot of times th those alone are not gonna be enough to make your determinant about what the right answer is. And so that's when you, you then will go into the middle of the answer choice and start looking at more of the specific wording that each answer choice uses. So I'll use an example. Let's say we have eliminated three options and we're down to B versus C. And B says the author argues for an alternate point of view on an issue, something like that. And answer choice C says, describes a point of view that encompasses broader research. So what I'm looking for there is I'm saying, all right, well, what are the, what are the differences in the words there? I've got alternate point of view on an issue. Okay, alternate point of view, that's, that's kind of a specific thing to be referencing. Is there an alternate point of view presented in the passage? Can I, can I remember that from my first read? If I go back, can I find some evidence for that? In the other option, broader research is kind of a specific thing. So now I wanna ask myself, is there research referenced in the passage? Now, a good tip here is they're very unlikely to use that exact word in the text that they're using in the answer choices. So it's unlikely you're gonna find the word research in the passage in that case. But they might say something like a controlled randomized study. Okay, well that is essentially the same thing as research. But they'll make it harder for you by using different words, but a similar concept, if that makes sense. So you'll often be going back and forth between things that are synonyms in the text and the answer choices themselves. That's something to note. In fact, most of the time, not always, but most of the time, if they use the exact same word in the passage and the answer choice, it's usually a trap to make it sound too familiar and just to get you to make a kind of quick gut decision for the wrong answer. So once again, when you're making these determinants, only the passage can give you this information. You want to be careful not to be using your impression of the passage too much. So watch that. Watch that. If you're missing a lot of reading comp questions, it's likely that that is a reason. It may not be the only reason, but it's likely a big factor. Now, if you are truly stuck and you've gone back to the passage once or twice and you've been using these specific words to make a determination, you must just guess and move on. It, it's easy to overspend on reading comprehension. A lot of people who are weak in reading comprehension end up overinvesting their time in reading comp at the detriment of sentence correction and critical reasoning. And when you're taking the GMAT, you really, really want to know your strengths and weaknesses because for most of us, we're not going to have time to do everything perfectly. And so it's an, an exercise in imperfection and doing our best to pull resources away from our weak points and invest those resources in the things that we feel we can do well on. And in that sense, the GMAT is not that different than what you'll be doing when you are a leader in the business world, which is managing resources. But that's a conversation for a, another day. So just make sure that you have a, a reasonable internal clock. A good way to develop this clock is do some timed practice with reading comp from the official guide or some other official source. And I think a, a good way to ballpark the amount of time you should be spending is take the number of questions on that passage. And the official guide often has more questions on a particular passage than, than you would see on a real exam. So on the official guide, you might see a passage with six questions on it. You, you would basically never see six questions on one reading comp on a GMAT, but they might have it in the OG. And what you'll want to do is take the number of questions and multiply by two minutes to get your total time to both read and answer all the questions. So if there were six questions in the official guide, I would give myself 12 minutes to read the passage and also answer all six of those questions. That usually will break down for most of us to three to four minutes for reading and then about one to one and a half minutes for each question that we're answering. That's not a 
strict guideline, but that's just an average, and it's a good thing to aim for, I think, if you're not sure how much time you should be spending reading versus answering questions. So you want to do a, a reasonable amount of time to practice in your studies so that you can get that good gut feeling down when you know you've been on a question for too long and you think, okay, it's unlikely that a significant extra analysis is going to enhance my clarity on whether it's B or C. And so now I need to just live in this imperfect world of the GMAT, commit to an answer, and then try not to bring that question into the next question. That's actually a big thing that the GMAT is testing you on is can you sort of get knocked down by a question and then put that behind you and refocus for the next problem? This is a very valuable and important skill on the GMAT because so many of us are going to miss so many questions on this test. Now, if you really need to improve your reading comprehension, which a lot of us do, then the exercises you're going to want to incorporate are probably going to depend heavily on what exactly you feel you need to improve or what the data is showing you from your practice tests on reading comp. If you need to improve your speed, especially your speed of reading, which is pretty common, then repetition is going to be your best friend. And I mentioned phys.org earlier. I mentioned integrating that as part of your regular study routine. I strongly recommend doing a lot of passages, not necessarily from the official guide because those are kind of a scarce resource. I would use other internet-based resources or other resources printed that you can find to just get reps on reading and taking notes specifically and not worry about answering a lot of questions on those things. If you really need to spend 30 minutes to an hour a day on that, I would encourage you to do so because reading is a huge part of other sections of the GMAT as well. And so developing your reading muscles, for lack of a better expression, should really help not just on reading comp, but everywhere. Now, if you're struggling with speed on questions, then you do want to put in some reps on the questions themselves. But when you're struggling with speed of answering questions, you're usually also struggling with accuracy. Not 100% of the time, but if you need... To increase your speed of answering questions, not just reading, but answering the questions themselves, or and or you need to increase your accuracy of questions, then that's usually going to come down to the, the main key of all verbal improvement on the GMAT, which is, are you doing quality review of the practice questions that you attempt, not just doing a bunch of questions and then hoping that that is somehow going to magically translate into better skills, which it does in some skill development areas but is relatively uncommon in my experience on GMAT verbal specifically. So the real key to the game with improving your reading comp accuracy and speed when it comes to answering questions is making sure that you are always taking the time to explain and write down why the right answers are right and why the wrong answers are wrong. Why the right answers are right and why the wrong answers are wrong. If you're really targeting a top verbal performance, for every practice question you've done in your entire prep, you should have written down somewhere, this is why B is right, and this is why A, C, D, and E are incorrect. And that can take time, and, and that's time well spent in my experience. Now, if you're interested in a specific review methodology that can help you accelerate that type of process, then definitely check out my class called the GMAT Strategy at thegmatstrategy.com. As always, my greatest hope is that this podcast will make your studies as easy and as painless as they can possibly be. If you want more tips and strategies for optimizing your performance on the GMAT, just head to my website, thegmatstrategy.com, and check out my video presentation on how to achieve your dream GMAT score in half the normal time and with half the normal effort. In the meantime, this is a weekly show, so please subscribe, and as always, stay positive and stay consistent with your studies.
I'll talk to you soon.